Welcome to the Social Pros Podcast, the content marketing awards winner for best marketing podcast. This is where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your social better. Emma, which provides innovative email marketing tools that drive brilliant results. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers with integrated solutions for social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. And Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors. With Yext, update your location data once and publish it to your website, apps, over 100 publishers, including Google, Apple Maps, Facebook, Bing, and Yahoo. That's the power of location. That's Yext. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, newly announced 10 million lifetime visitors on the Convince and Convert blog. So for those of you who uh, read the blog at socialpros.com or convinceandconvert.com, thank you very much. Uh, We really appreciate your support. Joined on this episode of Social Pros, as always, by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is Adam Brown. Jay, I just have to, I have to comment on that. That is absolutely incredible. 10 million uniques uh, to your blog. Now, how many years have you been doing it? Eight years, almost exactly eight years. Wow. Yeah, that, that is just absolutely incredible. And I think it's just, just testimony for how the great content that you're sharing, certainly what we try to do here at Social Pros, but also everything that you do at Convince and Convert. So just, just hat tip uh, to you and, and your entire team. Great stuff. Uh, thanks. Appreciate that very much. And the executive producer of Social Pros, Jess Ostroff, and her team at Don't Panic Management are also the managing editor for the blog. And so Jess has been uh, been with us almost the entire time for seven and a half of those years. So really the credit goes to her because she actually runs the blog. So thank you to Jess and give her a shout out if you see her in the social medias. Speaking of shout outs, speaking of shout outs, I am giving a wholehearted shout out and endorsement uh, to the book written by today's special guest. He is my friend Bruce Turkel, who's the CEO at Turkel Brands in Miami, Florida. His fourth book is coming out, and it is called All About Them. Not about you, Adam, all about them growing your business by focusing on others. Man, I could not endorse that concept any more than I do. Bruce, thanks so much for being on Social Pros. We are honored to have you here. Are you kidding? I'm hoping I can bring you one or two more readers after 10 million. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, we are delighted to, uh, to have you here, not only because uh, I've learned a lot from you and I consider you uh, a good friend, but I really love this book, All About Them, Growing Your Business by Focusing on Others, available in all the places and ways that books are available. Man, it's just, it, it's so clear. The way you write, uh, I am very envious of your voice. It's you have a very strong voice in your writing, and it's very clear. Our guest from three weeks ago, Josh Burnoff, who wrote the, the new book, uh, Writing Without Bullshit, would really treasure uh, your work. I don't know if you know Josh, but I'm going to make sure to send him a copy of your book because he'll love it uh, and you'll like his book as well. One of the things that, that I think is, is so interesting about the thesis of your book um, is that you say you have to find the one captivating component that sets your brand apart. Now, that sounds 
you're like, yeah, you should do that. You should have something that differentiates your brand versus your competition. But but how do you actually do that? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say it, but how do you actually find that thing? I know that's really what you've devoted your career to, but can you give us some tips and tricks? Sure, of course I will. Of course, you know, the thing I would like to say is if you want to find it, you should hire us, but you don't need to do right. that. The truth is that if you want to find this, all you got to do is ask other people. It already exists. The people who do business with you know it. These points, these these incredible ways that people can demonstrate who they are and the value they provide, really what I call their authentic truth, it's hidden in plain sight. It's just, you remember the end of The Wizard of Oz? Dorothy goes through all those trials and travails. All she wants to do is get home. And at the very end, the good witch, Glenda, says to her, you had it in you all along, which would make me wonder what a good witch she was having had to do all that <laughs> when I had it all along. But that's a whole other issue. Um, the point is, it's already there. It's hidden in plain sight. You just got to do some, some exercises. There are some things you can do to figure it out. Once you figure it out, you will understand where your value is and why people are coming to you as a person, you as a professional, you as a company, whatever. And, and why do you think it's so difficult for, for businesses or even individuals to, to figure out what that thing is and put it out there into the world? There's a, I'm looking at a paperweight on my desk that my um, uh, that a good friend uh, gave me, and, and it says, you can't read the label of the jar that you're in. And I think that is particularly appropriate for today's conversation. And so many businesses have something really special, but maybe they don't think it's special because it's commonplace inside their organization or they're, they're afraid to actually talk about that one thing that differentiates them. Why, why do they miss the real story so often? Boy, you, you just nailed the bumper sticker. <laughs> That's my whole career. I wish I had thought of that first. Um, I think it's what Groucho Marx said. I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member. I think we simply don't see it. We're too busy trying to emulate others' success, look at what the competition is doing, and unfortunately, we personally or we corporately serve many masters. It's a very rare company, a very rare person who knows what it is they're doing, why it matters, and why it matters to others, and can follow that path. Instead, we have all the CYA people who are so busy covering their asses that they don't actually care what the messaging is. We have all the legal um, partners and the legal firms that are telling us, you can't do that, you can't say that, you can't say this. We have all these other issues that obfuscate what should be so simple, which is here's why I'm here, here's why I matter, and most importantly, here's why I matter to you. One of the things that you've written about, not only in the book, but in your blog, which I, I really recommend, by the way, uh, BrewsterKale.com uh, or TakeLBrands.com, click on blog. It's really, really good. Um, it's consistently really, really good. Uh, you have talked about the fact that, that the Internet and the rise of the Internet and the fact that we are now consuming information through, through glass interfaces almost continuously has changed the balance between talking about yourself and, and making it all about them. Can you sort of talk about how technology has, has made uh, this all about them philosophy more critical? Sure, I love that question. It used to be that communications, commercial communications, were one to many. One company, one big company, had enough money that they could, spend, they could spend enough to talk to lots of consumers. And there really wasn't any communication that went the other way. Sure, you could write a letter if you had had a problem with a service you received. 
And what would happen? Three weeks later, you'd get a letter back in the mail that said, Dear Sir or Madam, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. We truly appreciate it. And let us assure you that this unfortunate situation will never happen again. And that was the end of the correspondence, and it was the end of the communication. But that has all changed because social media, the, sh the panes of glass that we all look into, have democratized this ability to communicate in both directions. There was a great cartoon in the New Yorker magazine a few years ago. I'm sure you saw it. It was a dog sitting behind a desk at a computer talking to another dog who was sitting on the other side of the desk. And the dog says, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. And that is the most <laughs> profound way I ever saw of explaining it. You know, you could be a multinational corporation or you could be a 14-year-old kid working off uh, internet connection on an Xbox in their parents' bedroom. It doesn't matter. You have the ability to reach out to everybody. But here's the other problem. We all have access to all of this information. So before anybody does business with you, before anybody meets with you, before anybody calls you, they have as much information as they want. If they want a lot of information, they got it. They found it online, on your website, on LinkedIn, on all the different sites, on all the Google questions they can ask. And if they don't want information, then they have all the information they want as well. And so you to be bragging about yourself or talking about what you do or what you, why you matter is irrelevant. What matters is talking about your customer, talking about your consumer. Well, I think you certainly see companies violating that so often in social media where their Facebook feed, their LinkedIn feed, their Twitter feed, their Instagram feed is um, is, is one continuous um, sort of pat on the back for themselves. And, and I think some of the most compelling social content is social content that focuses on customers or people who aren't even associated with the brand. Um, you think about a, a site like um, uh, Humans of New York, which is one of the most famous Facebook pages out there where they just take people who are actually in New York and say, hey, what's your story? And, and write a little... Um, a little blurb about their about their circumstance and have an interesting photo. Uh, do you think that, that businesses are being forced to use social media uh, as sort of a direct response vehicle, or do they just not fully understand the make it about them principle? I think it's all of that. You're right. You, you listed two of many um, circumstances that affect businesses. I have a very good friend who I would like to think listens to me, but he does exactly what you're talking about. He's got a very, very successful production company. And all of his social media is that they won this award, that they won this account, that they bought this new camera, say habla espanol. And nobody cares. They can put all that information out there, but it doesn't matter to anybody. And that's the biggest problem. The other issue is, and, and you know this very well, is, is what's called the GMOT phenomenon, where your boss goes to a trade show and they see the competition or someone else doing something cool with social media. And then they come back and they yell GMOT, which is an acronym for get me one of those. And so everybody runs out and gets a Twitter account or a Facebook account or, or gets on Periscope or whatever. They never bother to think about how it works, why it matters, who they're going to talk to. They are just serving the wrong master. I was going to write a book that said, you don't need social media. You need a strategy because so many people do the function, they've got the toolbox, but they have no idea what they're doing with it or why they're doing it or how you use it. Think about this, Jay. If you were fixing your car and I came over and you have your head deep into the hood, the hood is up, you have your head deep into the engine compartment, you put your hand back and you say, hey, Bruce, do me a favor, hand me a tool. What do I give you? Do I give you a hammer, a <laughs> screwdriver, a Phillips, a saw? I have no idea. I'm not the slightest bit useful by handing you a tool. But that's how people see social media. I got to get that tool, GMOT, get me one of those. 
doesn't mean it's going to do anything for you. Uh, that's so well said. It's funny when, when people go down a social media avenue and then at some point say, you know what, this particular flavor of social media isn't for me. Uh, a few days ago, I saw you on CNN International. One of the things that, that our listeners may not know is that uh, Bruce is the master of television commentary. He gets pulled into a lot of cable news shows and things of that nature, talking about current events and marketing and media. And he's exceptionally good, as you can tell, just listening to him on the show. But I saw you recently comment on Justin Bieber leaving Instagram. So I want you to share your take on that uh, for Social Pros listeners. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I was asked to talk about Justin Bieber. Now, here's the problem. The, uh, the anchor was talking about what a big mistake this was, and of course he wants me to agree with him, which would have been a big problem for two reasons. First of all, I don't think it was a mistake. And second of all, then all of my daughter's friends would be pissed off at me that I made fun of <laughs> Justin Bieber. I, I don't need that you know, in, in my day. Uh, I don't think it's a problem for Justin Bieber. I think it's a problem for Instagram because Instagram lives by feeding the celebrity machine to consumers. That's why it exists. You know, the, the analogy I used is that favorite saying, if Justin Bieber falls in a forest and there's no one there to post it on Instagram, did he actually fall? What we're going to find out is if Justin Bieber matters or if Instagram matters. Because what happens if other celebrities start saying, I'm going to take a stand, I'm going to get off Instagram too. If that becomes a bit of a fad, that's a big issue. And it's got nothing to do with how well the technology works. It's got nothing to do with how easy it is to use. It have, what it has to do with is how the different marketers use the tools. Speaking of, of marketers who are using tools, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the presidential campaign and how the candidates are using social media so very, very differently and whether you feel like Mr. Trump and or Mrs. Clinton are making it all about um, their, their constituencies uh, or something else entirely. Okay, let me start by saying I am going to do this without my partisan hat on, and I hope that our listeners can do the same thing. We are not talking about whether we like or dislike a candidate based on their issues. We're talking about their use of marketing and their use of the tools. And what you see are very, very different applications of a tool, and it makes sense why. Because one of the candidates, Donald Trump, is a reality TV star, and it's safe to say really understands the way social media works. One of the things that he understands is that it doesn't actually matter whether what you say is true or not, or accurate or not. What matters is the reaction it gets from the people you're trying to reach. And he has figured out how to clearly tap a vein for a very specific constituency. The bigger issue, of course, is whether that constituency ultimately will go out to vote and whether they're big enough to move the meter to give him the election. But that's a whole other issue. It's clear that he understands how to generate attention in the short attention span theater that we all live in using the social media tools that he uses. On the other side of the aisle, you have Hillary Clinton, who I think we all have to agree, whether you like her or not, is incredibly qualified for the position based on the fact that she lived in the White House for eight years. She served as both Secretary of State and a Senator. She knows how the game is played. The one thing she doesn't seem to understand is I believe on social media and really in any advertising and marketing where you're dealing with these short, very powerful bursts, quick mantra that I hope everybody can remember, when you're explaining, you're losing. 
when you're explaining you're losing because people are not paying attention and they're not interested. Here's the magic. People who care about the information are getting it anyways. They're either getting it online, they're getting it from the New York Times, they're getting it from the Washington Post. They're finding the information. When you're explaining you're losing, and you'll notice Donald Trump does not explain. He makes statements, he pontificates in short bursts of information that play incredibly well on social media. Do you think businesses could follow suit? I mean, do you, do you think that's a viable strategy for a company? I think it's absolutely a viable strategy for a company. Look at some companies, and we can go back to old world as well as new world media. Look at companies who are able to do that. Think about a company like Volvo. Volvo is probably in the most complicated business there is. Because they manufacture automobiles, it means they're in the, in the metallurgy business, the engineering business, they're in the fuel business, they're in the upholstery business, they're in the safety business, engineering, on and on and on and on and on, simply to manufacture a car. Then they distribute them, and they don't just sell them in Sweden, they sell them all around the world, I think in 143 countries, which means they're in the logistics business, they're in the foreign currency exchange business. Then they have retail outlets, they buy product and they sell product. They buy back old product. They don't even buy back only their old product because you could trade in a BMW for a Volvo. That would be like taking a pair of jeans you bought at Macy's and trading them in at Nordstrom's for a new pair of jeans. Then they offer service, they offer uh, insurance, they offer financing. So think about how many silos we just discussed. Yet, when I say Volvo, you think of one word, safety. 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 And safety isn't even the core competency or the core function of the product. The core function of the product is transportation, getting you from point A to point B. And so Volvo understands that everything they do is based on the authentic truth of safety, and they can use social media to get that message out there. No different than Donald Trump understanding that the singular message he needs to get out there is that we have disaffected, dissatisfied citizens who will follow him based on his understanding of their issues. Is a Volvo actually safer than another automobile? I would argue that none of us have any idea. Is Donald Trump actually going to be a better candidate? Well, again, I'm not going to get into that argument on your show, but I think a lot of people would say, no, he's not. And some people would say, yes, he is. The point is understanding the authentic truth and marketing it and using the social media tools is the answer. Bruce, I want to take two things that you've just spoken about and kind of bring them together. One is kind of near and dear to my heart, and I recognize one of the things you, you just said about Volvo in the past couple of days as I've been looking at websites, looking at, at new cars, and there was one brand that had a site that was almost minimalist in its design and the information contained on it. To really go to your mantra, if you explain, you lose, and other sites had very detailed and specific information. I want to kind of have you talk a little bit about kind of that space between explanation and storytelling, because certainly there are times where we need to share information, but I think it's, and what you're trying to say is it's, it's as much about the how you convey the information as it is the information itself. I'm thrilled you asked me that, because I wrote part of the book on storytelling. In fact, I called it story selling, and uh, going all the way back to Joseph Campbell and the hero with a thousand faces and how all human cultures exist and grow based on story. Humans are hardwired to hear stories, to tell stories, and to respond to stories. Stories are a great way, 
exactly what you just said, a great way of sharing information. Because in fact, when you're telling a story, you're not explaining. What you're doing is you're making your message all about them, aren't you? You're making your message compelling to somebody else. And the reason, as Joseph Campbell pointed out uh, all those years ago, I think he wrote the book in the late 50s, as he said, there's only six or seven stories that exist in the world anyways. And he went and documented all these great stories throughout history and showed how every human culture uses the same outline, the same arc for stories to get people involved and to get people to relate to what is being said and more importantly, to internalize it, to make it all about them. I love that. It, it reminds me of a book I actually have on my bookshelf uh, that I can't see quite where I'm sitting, but it's 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 for written kind of for for screenwriters, and it's called the Six Basic Plots. And the idea is that almost every single movie falls and follows one of one of those those six plots. I mean, they're they're, they're stories that are that are timeless. And as marketers, we've got to kind of have to use our right brain and our left brain to find a way to convey the information that certainly has a call to action in it to drive something to happen in a package that very likely to your point, Bruce, is, is going to be one of those six or seven storylines. Jay, there's a great example of that. Um, when people go to submit new movies to studios, both for financing and to get greenlighted so they can make them, there's something called a treatment. Maybe you all know what that is, but quite simply, it's a very, very, very boiled down, simple explanation of what the movie is all about. When the guys went to get green-lighted, green-lit, I don't know the past tense of that word, regardless, when they went to get green-lighted for uh, Cujo, which you remember was the movie about that giant dog that terrorized a community, um, the treatment for Cujo was Jaws with Paws, because you didn't need to say anything else. It was right. the movie Jaws, except they took the fin off the shark, and instead they made it a big furry dog. And people understood. I want to see an Instagram account that is at... Jaws with paws. That is uh, <laughs> only killer dogs. Uh, Adam, anybody in the uh, in the Salesforce uh, universe have an Instagram account like that that you could uh, point to? I need I need to find that because I'd be interested in that too. I just like the whole idea of of, of people taking two things and, and doing mashups, um, almost like celebrity mashups. But this is idea mashups, if you will. It's a great way, by the way. Just as an aside, it's a great way to name products, the, the guys who came up with the idea of having scuba tanks but using pumps instead of tanks, they, they combined snorkeling and scuba and they created Snuba. We just did a uh, project for a, a company, they're a faith-based company that is going to be working in hospitals, they're advocates and they have a divine mission so we named the company Advinity. It's a great way to get meaning across that people can understand. And you've done, Bruce, things like that through your entire career. Not only have you written quite a few best-selling books, but of course you are a professional marketer and I think a tr truly a storyteller. I know one of the stories you talk about in your book is working with Bacardi brands uh, and creating the, the Bacardi Cherry Bomb, you know, a, a drink that was a huge hit, um, kind of in a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point sort of way with uh, with with young college age students. I'd love for you to share that story and kind of the thinking process behind the marketing of that particular new product. I'd be delighted. That was a project that uh, a couple people are going to understand what a difficult job marketing is because the assignment we were given was to expand um, usage of Bacardi's products with what they call LDA, legal drinking age. 
So we had to go to college bars and research and find out why people drink. As I say, it's a tough duty, but someone had to do it. What we discovered was that younger drinkers like to talk sophisticated. They like people to believe that they know liquor, they understand what they're drinking, but in reality, they drink sweet. They drink sweet drinks. And the reason is, first of all, they like sweets. Second of all, most people's introduction to alcohol is a sweet drink. It was the the favorite uncle who at a wedding or a bar mitzvah would slip you either a rum and coke or a screwdriver. Why? Because you know Coca-Cola and you knew orange juice. Well, for Jay and I, it was wine coolers. I don't want Jay to show our age, but that was probably... Yeah, we were bottles of James guys back in the day. The gateway I guess that's what the cool guys drank, huh? No. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's what we found out. The other thing we discovered was that the main reason for uh, why these folks were drinking was what we called the three L's. They wanted to get loaded, they wanted to get lucky, and they wanted to get laid. Now, when I was a kid, getting lucky and getting laid was the same thing, but apparently now that has been changed. Um, So, and if they didn't get lucky or laid, then they wanted to get even more loaded. And so we created this new product. It was called a Cherry Bomb. You're absolutely right. It was dark rum and cherry Coke. I personally believe it is so sweet that as you drink it, your teeth fall out of your head because it's just so sugary. But that wasn't enough because it was just another drink. What we did then was we created a ritual because remember, we're looking for the cool guy. So we had something called slam it, slam it, slug it, slap it. And here's how it worked. When you ordered the drink, you got in these really cool little square, thick glass shot glasses. You would slam it on the bar, which would make it fizz. You would then slug it down. And then the hot bartender or bartendress would give you the removable tattoo of the cherry bomb logo, which as you would imagine was a cherry bomb sitting in a, in a shot glass, which if she did her job right, she would lick to moisten and then stick it on your arm. Clearly, the cool guy in the bar is the guy with the uh, cherry bomb tattoos, slam it, slug it, slap it, up and down his arms or on his bare chest or whatever. It was a huge success. The only problem we had is that it kind of offended the folks at Bacardi, the, the serious people, the guys whose last names happens to be Bacardi, because they like to tell the story of the product being brought from Cuba in the lapel of his grandfather's coat taken to Puerto Rico. They wanted to talk about the oak casks. They wanted to talk about the quality ingredients. But remember, when you're explaining, you're losing. And so we not only had to create the campaign, we then had to convince the people who made the decision whether they were going to spend the money on it that, in fact, doing it made sense because the campaign would be all about them. Them were not our clients them were the people who our client, Bacardi, wanted to buy the product. Well, well, there you go. And I think you also demonstrate with that story, you could certainly explain that heritage through a wonderful story, which kind of gets us into kind of segment marketing and, and all the things that, that many of the large uh, large brands do. You know, I, I love the Bacardi uh, Cherry Bomb story, and you would think that, you know, that makes people happy. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing by the three L's. They're having some, uh, some great drinks that may make them pre-diabetic, but that's another story entirely. I want to segue a little bit into the first chapter of, uh, of your new book, All About Them, Grow Your Business by Focusing on Others, which is entitled Nobody's Happy. Um, so I want to, what, you know, what do you mean by that? And, and how does this idea of kind of you know, the unhappiness or perceived unhappiness of consumers impact how we market and communicate with them? 
I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was complaining. He said, oh, I have to go. I have to go to the dealer. The convertible top on my Mercedes won't go up. Can you believe what a terrible day I'm having? The convertible top on my Mercedes is broken. And I was thinking, what? That's a problem? Well, it's what's clearly referred to as a first world problem, right? First world problem. I just went to the bathroom. I forgot my iPhone. Now I'll be bored. We are given such amazing levels of affluence, technology, that none, consumers aren't happy with anything. I can just imagine if I had a conversation with my grandfather who came to the United States from Europe when he was 16, and apparently the uncle he was supposed to meet here wasn't here, he didn't speak English. Can you imagine if I told him just a few years later that I didn't find my job fulfilling? He would say, can you put your kids through college? Do you have a house? Do you have a car? What are you talking about? It wouldn't have even made any sense to him. But tomorrow or the next day when you're sitting with a buddy at lunch or maybe grabbing a beer or on the golf course or shopping, listen to the things people complain about. It's, it's astounding what it is they think are problems. However, as marketers, it's not our job to judge whether that's right, wrong, good, bad. It's our job to understand it. And we need to understand that the consumers who are buying things are annoyed because their cell phone takes an extra second to make a call. What did um, Louis C.K. say? You know, give it a second. It's got to go to space and back. We carry these amazing devices in our pockets and now we complain about them. I think it's pretty critical to really get a handle on that and understand when you're on social media, when you're building websites, the kind of crazy things that upset people and how you can demonstrate that you can overcome that for them. It's one of the challenges that, that every business faces. Uh, it's what, what I talked about in, in Hug Your Haters, like this incredible sort of tsunami of griping that, that in many cases would not ever have been voiced in previous eras. Because if you don't have enough ice in your drink at Arby's, you probably wouldn't write a complaint letter about that, right? Like You're not going to write a letter. You're probably not going to call. Um, you're probably not even going to email. But while you're still there, you'll bitch about it on Twitter or Facebook. And now, because it's addressed to Arby's on Twitter or Facebook, now they actually have to deal with it, or everybody can see them ignoring it, which doesn't help them either. And so... That's when I when I talk about customer service being disrupted. I mean, that's one of the real keys is that everybody feels like they're now empowered to complain about the most minor inconveniences, and 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 brands kind of have to actually address those. Whereas previously, people be like, "Well, I wish I had more ice, but I don't." And it goes even it's even worse than that because that Arby's could be doing a great job. And what does someone tweet? I'm standing in line behind a woman who's picking her nose. So now what do I hear? Arby's and picking your nose, and I'm grossed out, and it had nothing to do with the brand at all. It's, it's really a, a, a problem for companies today. I think another place where we begin to see this kind of distinction uh, and, and transformation in, in the consumer is, is another part of your book, which is where you start making the, the comparison between content and context, just as our, Jay articulated with the RV story. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a distinction, but because we have that brand in the hand, because we have that mobile device inside of RVs, you know, we can talk about the diameter of the uh, straw not being big enough for the Jamocha shake, whereas we, we couldn't do that just a couple of years ago. Talk a little bit, Bruce, about that difference between content and context that you, you showcase in the book. What happens is people get so hung up on the actual function of what's going on, what they fail to realize 
is that the pleasure, the enjoyment, the uh, competitive advantages for companies is in fact context. Content are all the things you can measure, you can track, all the metrics, and thanks to the technology and, and, the, and the opportunity it gives us to track all these things, we do that and we start to believe that that's what matters. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. We start to examine everything. But the bigger picture, the context, why the product, why the company, why the entertainer improves our lives is what matters. So if we, if we spend all our time on content, then we t wind up worrying only about function. For example, think about televisions. Televisions don't seem to break anymore, but they used to all the time. It made more sense to buy a better television because they used to break. Now they don't. Why? Because they're all made the same way. They all use the same digital engines. They're all made with the same computer codes. And so the context of the television is how it opens your world, how it opens your horizons, how it allows you to be a better person because you have this device. If you start talking about the content that we use better gears in our, in our little dials or that everything is digital, you're really only presenting a genericized, just like everybody else, product. What I hope clients do, certainly our clients do, is look for that bigger picture because in that contextual bigger picture, that's really where they can shine. I love that answer, but I, I also just want to call back to a minute or so ago when Adam talked about the diameter of the straw at Arby's not being big enough for the Jamocha shake, and he said that with with such alacrity, I really feel like that's a complaint that he's actually pondered. <laughs> I mean, it really... It really felt like that was not just a riff, that that was actually a gripe that he has. Uh, it's very specific, talking Jamocha Shake, so we'll have to pick that up after the show. That was kind of yeah. fascinating to me. Uh, Nobody's happy means thing. Adam's unhappy at Arby's. You're right. You're right. <laughs> well, you know what? That's yeah, right. We're being funny, but that's exactly right. Nobody's happy means I'm unhappy, right? That's what it means. That's right. That's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know who makes it all about them, or at least partially about them, all three sponsors of our show this week. Uh, first, our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, who not only uh, make it about them, but they also employ Adam, so that's good news. One of the things that Salesforce has done, which benefits all of us who are social media marketers, but also them at some level, is create what they call advertising studio. So the way this works is if you're doing paid social, and most of the people who listen to the show are doing paid social, maybe Facebook, a little Instagram on the side, a little Twitter, a little LinkedIn, it's kind of a hassle, right? You've got to have four accounts, four credit cards, four logins, four custom audiences, four reports. It's kind of a lot of nonsense. So what Salesforce did is say, well, wait a second. What if you could do all that stuff in one place? That would be super useful. So they built Advertising Studio, which allows you to do just that. You log in, you manage all your social stuff in one place, save your time, save your money, save your hassle. Check it out. Go to bit.ly slash advertising studio. That's bit.ly slash advertising studio. Studio. Also, this week, our good friends at Emma uh, have a terrific ebook which will help you. It's called Your Brain on Email The Science to Win in the Inbox. They did a bunch of research on brain science and then interpreted that through the prism of email marketing effectiveness how to organize things, what kind of colors, where to you know, put the submit button, that kind of stuff. Really good stuff. Go to myemma.com slash jbear. That's myemma, E M M A dot com slash jbear, J A Y. B-A-E-R to grab that. 
And our friends at Yext have a new resource, definitely all about them. It's about Snapchat geofilters. So many people who listen to the show have either experimented with Snapchat geofilters or want to take a crack at it here in the near future. One of the things that can go hopelessly wrong with that, though, and I can tell you I've done this myself accidentally, is you buy a geofilter, then the geofilter runs, and it's not actually laid over the place that you wanted it to lay over. And that's because the geodata for the business or the location is not correct in the databases that Snapchat and Google and Yelp and everybody else uses. So you got to fix that. So Yelp or Yext will help you do that. Go to uh, Yext, Y-E-X-T, slash Snapchat. That's Yext.com slash Snapchat uh, to download their whole guide to how to do Snapchat geofilters well. Guide to Snapchat geofilters. Check that out. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Adam. Thank you, Jay. Bruce Turkel, author of a new great book, All About Them, Growing Your Business by Focusing on Others. Now, now, Bruce, as, as we said in the intro, you are, you are certainly a legend in the, uh, in the marketing space. You've, uh, you've earned over 400 national TV interviews on networks like CNN. Um, you've uh, got over 32,000 friends on LinkedIn. You have an industry-leading blog one of the things I would love to, to have you share a little bit about is kind of the changes that you've seen in marketing since you've been in it. You've written numerous books. You've, you, you have your own agency. You've worked at some of the best and brightest agencies in the world. What's the biggest change that you're seeing? I know and that's, that's actually some of the, I think, impetus for, for, for the book, All About Them. Yeah, it, it exactly is. The biggest change I've seen is actually going to is a lot bigger than it's going to sound because it was a 180 degrees uh, flip. Marketing used to be intrusive and interruptive. It was as if you were walking, remember in, in, in high school at a, at a pep rally or something, you were in the auditorium and you were walking down the aisle and some kid would stick his foot out so you would trip. That's what advertising used to be. You're watching a TV show, and they trip you and show you a commercial. You're listening to songs on the radio, and they trip you and they play the music. You're driving on a beautiful street, and they trip you and put a billboard in front of you. Magazines, every bit of advertising used to be intrusive. And so it was sort of the responsibility of smart, savvy, good advertisers and good agencies to make that intrusive trip compelling enough that you'd actually pay attention to it instead of be pissed off. So when the kid tripped you in the auditorium, if it was your best friend or if it was the girl that you wanted to go out with, you probably didn't get mad. But if it was the school bully, you got, you got pissed off. Well, that's changed because nowadays there's no reason for anybody to look at or read or listen to anything they don't want to. Nowadays, the power paradigm has shifted. It used to be the advertiser, one to many, and the advertiser controlled the messaging. Now I control the messaging. I don't have to watch. I can, I can TiVo the TV show. I can look something up online. I can look at the magazine on my iPad. I have so many choices nowadays that the power has shifted, and therefore marketers have to figure out new ways all the time of reaching out and getting people to pay attention. And I believe... Back to what you talked about earlier, Adam, the difference between content and context. The context about it is that marketing today must be all about them. To make it personal, if you ain't talking about me, I ain't paying attention. 
Well, and I think that really challenges us as a citizenry as well, right? There was a time, as you said, where we had to listen to uh, the opposing viewpoint or, or we had sort of a blended viewpoint because there are only three TV stations and there are a few newspapers of record and that was it. And now you can consume content or media or media as content or content as media or entertainment or anything else that, that only mirrors your own belief system, whatever that belief system may be. And what, you, what we end up with is a balkanization of thought uh, and, and everybody surrounding themselves with only the things that they already believe and so it takes a, a set of opinions and and uh, calcifies them instead of requiring people to to consider other sides of the story uh, I don't think that's very healthy from a societal perspective and it sure as heck makes marketing more difficult well it does because people live in echo chambers and because of that echo chamber first of all they're only surrounded with the information they want and second of all it makes it particularly difficult for you to bring them a new idea unless you can figure out why that new idea matters to them. Yeah, make it so it seems like their idea seems to be the, uh, the, the party line on that. Bruce, we're going to ask you the two questions that we ask every single guest on, on this show, some 250 episodes or somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I never uh, remember to check the episode number before the show. I really should get into the habit of doing that, but I don't. Uh, so the first question for you, Bruce, is... What one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? I'll go back to what we said earlier. Don't think about the tools until you think about the strategy. Understand what you want to accomplish, not how many followers you, followers you want or how often you want to post. Those things are tactics. But I want you to have a strategy. Most of us uh, read The Art of War by Sun Tzu sometime in college, after your Ayn Rand phase, then you went into your Asian <laughs> philosophy phase, right? And uh, right. <laughs> Sun Tzu said that tactics without strategy is the sound of failure. So you could hop on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, Yelp, Foursquare, whatever you like, and you can make a lot of noise, but you're being active not productive. What I ask all our clients, all the people in my office, and hopefully everybody who reads my book, what do you want to accomplish? Figure that out first and work backwards from there. Here, here. That is uh, fantastic advice for all social media professionals. Could not uh, agree more. Second and final question for you, Brewster Kellen. Everybody get out there and grab yourself a copy of All About Them, Growing Your Business by Focusing on Others. You are going to love it. You're going to take a lot away from it. It's going to help you in your day-to-day -day life. Is, Bruce, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Wow. If I could do a Skype call with any living person, it would be with Eric Clapton. Uh, first of all, I'm a Nice answer. Music fan, as you probably know, um, I'm a huge fan of Eric Clapton's, obviously. But what I want to know is how the man has played for so long, so wonderfully, and each time I listen, he's doing something different. Because as far as I can tell, being a musician myself, there's only seven notes. Do re mi fa sol la ti is it, and he puts them in different order and different way, and says different things every time. And I'm sure he would tell me. I don't know. Actually, he would do it with an English accent, right? I don't know. I just do it. But I would love to know that. Yeah, it is, it is remarkable to think about the productivity of somebody like that. Uh, and not only is it different every time out, but continues after this very, very lengthy career 
to invest heart, soul, mind, time, passion into into the work. Uh, I feel like at some point, if I had achieved that level of success, I'd say, peace out. I'm going to a hammock. <laughs> you know, like, like I don't need to work this hard anymore. Like, I've worked too hard to work this hard is one of my favorite sayings. Uh, and I feel like uh, uh, if I were Eric Clapton, and I sure as heck uh, am not, uh, that it would be hard to give that much effort for that long. And maybe that's why he's Eric Clapton, and uh, I'm just a guy with a podcast. Well, it, it certainly would be an enlightened experience. And, and, you know, if he had only done Blind Faith, or if he had only done Cream, that, or if he had only played the guitar solo on my, While My Guitar Gently Weeps for the Beatles, that would have been enough. I'd love to know yeah. how he does it. Yeah, that would, any of those, any of his, uh, any of his minor career accomplishments would have been a <laughs> heck of a career for for most people. I guess that's how you know you've really made it. If like the fourth paragraph of your obituary uh, is is still like, wow, you did that. You know, that that's how you know. I, I can only wish that for all of us. Bruce, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a treasure to have you uh, with us. It's always so great to to speak with you. I got to tell folks out there: a, again, get the book. It's called All About Them. Also, if you ever have a chance to see Bruce speak at a conference, an event, uh, a bar mitzvah, a circus, uh, anywhere that uh, they are wise enough to have him on stage, uh, do yourself a favor and uh, and some, spend some time in the audience, and you will be the richer for it. Uh, thank you so friend. much for being on the show, my friend. It was a great pleasure. Jess, Adam, Jay, thank you all very, very much. Absolutely. On behalf of Mr. Adam Brown, I am Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Join us next week for another fantastic episode. Don't forget, uh, Adam and I are on a hunt to learn more about our Social Pros audience. So if you get a chance just right now when we're finished talking, just grab a second, go into your email app, send me an email, j at jbear.com. It's my actual email address. Uh, and just tell us who you are, what you do. And it's been so great to get all your emails and learn more about our audience. And, and uh, I get them all myself. I answer them all myself. I send the interesting ones to Adam, especially the ones who say that they love Adam. Uh, and, and so take a second and, uh, and email me. I really appreciate that. Thanks as always, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been Social Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Emma, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcasts.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by...